All right. Ooh, it's a little hot. Good morning. Welcome to Peoples. My name is Tyler, one of the pastors. If you wouldn't mind praying with me, we're going to jump into God's Word together. Jesus, we love you. Go even now in these few moments, we come to set our eyes upon you, Jesus. We come, Lord, to learn. We come to hear. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask, and by Jesus' power, would you come and would you speak to us today? Would you have your way? Would you reveal yourself to us? And God, if, if there's places of resistance in us, God, would you reveal those things too, we ask. Lord, open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've heard this saying many times throughout my life. There's more than one way to skin a cat, right? And there's a truth in there. There's a truth. There's, there's more than one way to do something. Now, I don't know who gets to make up sayings because I want to know who's skinning cats. Can we just talk about that for a second? I don't know who's skinning cats. That's kind of weird. Um, but there's a truth there for us. And just like there's more than one way to do something, if you pull up Google Maps and you have your trip plan, you have your destination, and you type it into Google Maps, there's more than one way to get to your destination, right? If you go to Google Maps, you can see the most eco-friendly way to go, the most fuel-efficient. You can see the scenic way, but there's multiple routes to get somewhere. And today we want to talk about and kind of build upon what we were talking about last week. We were talking about how often in life we can get to a place where we feel hopeless, tired, weak, weary, and often we can be the place where we're done, we're not okay. And, and there's multiple ways to get there. Did you know that? There's multiple ways to get there. And today we're going to be looking at two prophets who got to the same place. Okay, Elijah and Jonah, they both got to the same place of saying, take my life, I'm done, I'm over, like it, this is it. And so we want to go back and we want to look at not only that they got to this place, but why did they get there? What was the route that they took to get there? And, and, and we're going to kind of move that forward and we're going to learn something from it. All right, if you go, go in your Bibles with me to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, we're not going to go into everything, but a little bit of backdrop for 1 Kings 19 is the story of Elijah, and Elijah is just a man of God, a prophet. God spoke to Elijah to go and stand against King Ahab, who was leading the northern kingdom of Israel into much wickedness and worship of other gods. And so Elijah shows up and tells him that there's going to be a famine, and then God supernaturally provides for Elijah through ravens and through a widow of, with unlimited supply of flour and oil. And then he actually, God uses him to raise this widow's son from the dead. God actually will, will use Elijah to call fire down from heaven. Elijah outruns a chariot with his own feet. And then God actually even uses this man to, to stop the famine, right? He prays and then rain comes. So we, we were just looking at the, the, the mighty strength that Elijah walked in right? The mighty strength. But when you turn the page, even from 1 Kings 18 into 19, we see that he's also human. And we're all prone to weakness. We're all prone to, to be tired. So if you would go in your Bibles with me to 1 Kings 19. And if you don't mind, stand up with me. We're just going to read the first four verses, if you're able. 1 Kings 19. One, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under the broom tree, 
and he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. This is the exact same thing that we're going to see in Genesis. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. You may be seated. Thanks for standing up with me. We just want to honor God's word when, when we read it. So what we see here is Elijah had been walking in the mighty strength of God. We turn the page into chapter 19, and we see this woman, Jezebel, the queen, comes to confront him. Because Elijah had just killed all of the prophets to the God that she served. And so she's like, hey, I'm coming after you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you, Elijah. If, 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 hey, and if I don't kill you by tomorrow, may the gods kill me because I'm going to kill you. And so what does he do? When he hears this, it says that he arises and that he runs for his life because he is afraid. But this is what we want to talk about today. How did Elijah get to the place of running? It was through opposition and resistance and pressure from this woman, Jezebel. Do you see this? He was soaring along. He was okay until the resistance comes. How many of you guys know that when we're trying to follow God, resistance is coming? Did you know that? Resistance, pressure is coming. And what we see with Elijah is it's actually external pressure. Okay, say external. It's external pressure. It's external resistance from somebody outside. And so, guys, oftentimes when we experience resistance, it can be from the outside. Maybe it's somebody, right? Maybe it's something. Maybe it's a circumstance that you didn't create. But there's pressure from the outside that then creates this sense of fear, that creates this sense of weariness, tiredness. And what we see is because of the resistance, he became afraid. Okay, so this man who'd been walking in mighty faith, which is the opposite of fear, he now turns from faith into fear. And he, it literally says in my Bible right here, it says that he ran for his life. <laughs> and so he ran from the northern kingdom of Israel all the way through the southern kingdom of Judah to the very tip to Beersheba. And then it said he left his servants and went another day's journey south. He went as far as he could. Look, this man should have been standing, and yet he turned and he ran because he felt the pressure and the resistance and the opposition to the very thing that God had called him to do. Listen, when we're walking with God, there's going to be resistance and there's going to be opposition. But we see this in the life of Elijah, and he gets to the place where he says, It's enough. I'm done. I, I want to give up. And obviously we know last week, and, and if you weren't here last week, you can go catch up online, peopleschurch.online. But we see that God comes to meet him in that place, right? But this is the thing we want to see in the midst of Elijah's life, in the midst of his testimony right here, is that he moved from mighty strength to weakness, but it was through the doorway of external resistance. Now go in your Bibles with me to the book of Jonah. And this is where we're going to dig in for a few minutes. All right, so everybody knows about Jonah, probably. Jonah was this man who was called by God. And we don't actually, he, he was a prophet. But we don't really actually see any of his prophecies in the book of Jonah. If you go to 2 Kings, you'll actually see some things that he said. But we see that this was a prophet from God. And, and as you move into chapter 1, you can just kind of follow along. I'm going to kind of paraphrase a lot of the book. It's only about a few chapters. Uh, but at the end, we're going to pick up and we're going to read it together. So we see that God speaks to this man named Jonah. And he says, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So God says, hey, Jonah, you need to get to Nineveh. I got something to say to them. And you know what Jonah says, right? He says, nope. Not going. Not doing it, Lord. I'm not going to Nineveh. In fact, 
what is general comes with the plan. He says, I'm going to go as far away from Nineveh that I can possibly go. It actually says right here that he rose, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. Now, where was Tarshish? Because that matters, okay? Jonah's in the Middle East, and he tries to go to the southern tip of Spain. All right, Tarshish was kind of that southern region of Spain. And Jonah says, I'm going as far away as I possibly can. I was reading some things even this week that in ancient times, Tarshish was known as to be like the ends of the earth. Because they didn't even know about us, right, on the Western. Like, they didn't know about us. They thought this was the ends of the earth. He's like, I'm going to the ends of the earth. I'm going as far away as I possibly can from what God wants me to do, right? Now, what you need to know about Nineveh, it's in modern-day Iraq. It was the Assyrians. Have anybody ever heard of the Assyrians? They were a mighty people. They were strong. They were warriors. They were conquerors. And they were super wicked. They were the foes of everyone in the region. And let's just say this. Jonah didn't think a lot of them, <laughs> okay? Jonah didn't like them a lot. And so he's like, go tell them. No, I'm not going there at all. And so he tries to flee to Tarshish. Now, he gets on the boat. He pays the fare. How many of you guys know that? Look, he financed. I can't imagine how much this trip would have cost. He's going literally as far away possible as he possibly can. It had to cost something, right? It says that he paid the fare. I imagine that it was not cheap. And so he pays the fare. He gets on the boat. They start heading to Tarshish in a mighty wind, a mighty storm comes upon the boat so much it says that they feared that the boat was going to break. I don't know about you, but I would not want to be in a wooden, bro a wooden boat when it feels like it's going to break. That's scary, right? And so it, it feels like it's going to break. Everybody's getting scared. Sailors are pretty, they're pretty fearless people, but it sounds like they're pretty scared here, right? And so they start calling on all of their gods. And Jonah, he's actually asleep in the hole. He's asleep in the boat and the captain comes down he's like what are you doing like why, why are you asleep what come on like we're about to die at least get up call upon your god maybe he'll he'll hear us get up so jonah gets up and about the time he gets up they decide to cast lots it's like drawing straws kind of right so they they all get get together they draw straws jonah gets the short straw and everybody's like so it's your fault jonah you're the one who brought this calamity upon us. And Jonah's like, you know, like, yeah, it's me, okay? I'm a, I'm a Hebrew, I'm a Jew, I serve the God who created the heavens and the earth, who created the sea and the dry land, like, it's me, I, I did it wrong. And so he tells the guys, he's like, just throw me overboard. And I'd be like, the sailors, they were, they were pretty hesitant to do that. So they just try to row a little harder. And the harder that they row, the harder that the wind comes. And so finally they, they pray and they're like, Lord, like we don't want to throw this guy over, but this is what you're doing. And so wash, we wash our hands of this guy and they pick him up and they throw him overboard. Okay? So Jonah's thrown overboard and it says that God sent a great big fish to swallow him. Now we think it's a well, we don't really know. It says a fish. Okay? But a fish comes and swallows Jonah. Now, how many of you guys have ever rented an Airbnb? Okay, maybe your Airbnb was clean, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was roomy, maybe it wasn't. This was not a great Airbnb, okay? This was not a good place to stay. It wasn't clean, it was cramped, it was full of fish guts, okay? Like, this was not a comfortable place to be. But Jonah, he is in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And I don't know about you, but if God sent a fish to swallow me, I'd probably be in the same place that we find Jonah in in chapter 2. He's just calling out like, God, you found me in my distress. Like, you're my savior. Like, I'll do what you want to do. It actually says, even if you go down into chapter 2, look at verse 9. He says, but I, would, I will, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Let's just say he made some vows in, in the belly of the fish, right? <laughs> I don't know about you. I probably would have too. You know, have you ever been in a circumstance where you prayed something to this effect? Lord, if you'll just get me out of this, I'll serve you forever. I'll do exactly what you want, right? He's making vows. 
And so we see that God actually tells the fish to vomit him on the dry land. This is what the fish does. And as soon as he gets vomited on dry land, we see in chapter 3 that the word of the Lord comes to Jonah again. Say again. I don't want the word of the Lord to have to come to me again. <laughs> How about you? I want to obey the first time, but it came to Jonah again. And Jonah says, yep, I'm going to Nineveh this time. He learned his lesson, right? Maybe. We'll see. He, he learned his lesson. He goes to Nineveh. And it actually says that Nineveh, it was an exceedingly great city. It was a big city, okay? This, was, this city was a big deal. It actually said it, it's a three days journey just to like walk through the city. That's a, that's a big city, especially for ancient times. And so we see that Jonah, he walks one day's journey into the city. And it, I don't know where he set up shop. I don't know if he found a chair or a little hill or a rock. I don't know where he, he decided to set up camp, but he starts declaring the word of the Lord. He says, 40 days this is chapter 3, verse 4. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And this is what's beautiful. This evil, wicked people who are violent, who have served other gods. You know what it says? It says they believed God. <laughs> they believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. Now, let me translate. When, when, you, when they fast and put on sackcloth, that's like ancient terminology for they, they're turning from their ways. They understand the weight of what's being said. They believe God and they want to turn. Repentance means to turn away, right? Turn away from where you're going and turn back to God. And this is the language that's being talked about here, right? So they, they, put, they, they fast, they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them, even the king. If you go into, into verse 6, the word reached the king. This man who was in the belly of the fish, who knows how long before, is now in Nineveh. And, and his word that he's speaking reaches the ears of the king. And so the king, he arises from his throne. He even removes his robe. He covers himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he issued a decree to the rest of, of the nation, the net rest of the city. You know what he said? He said, by the decree of the king, he said, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. I don't know about you. Fasting is hard, just food. He's saying no food and no water. You taste nothing. And he goes on to say this. He said, but hey, let everyone call on God mightily. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. But do you hear this wicked people? God's trying to send Jonah to this wicked people. He didn't want to go. He finally goes. He declares, hey, destruction's coming. And they turn back to God. They repent. And you know what God does? God loves when we turn to him. Amen. We have a God who loves. Listen, when we're going the wrong way, guys, I love this. Nineveh's going the wrong way and God sends a messenger to warn them. Who's ever got a warning from God that you're going in the wrong direction? I, I'm thankful we serve a God who will come to warn us. But listen, God, he hears what's going on. He sees what's going on in Nineveh. And this is what it says, verse 10, 310. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said what he would do to them, and he did not do it, okay? Sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? Hey, Jonah went, and it seems like the mission's complete. <laughs> Go into chapter 4, and we're going we're gonna to see Jonah's heart, okay? Let, let's, let's, let's get a revelation into Jonah's heart. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. <laughs> Okay, so you have this man who just went and completed the mission of God, and he's mad about it. He's upset about it. You know why? Because he didn't like what God was going to do. If you go on, he actually says, I told you so. Anybody ever said, I told you so? Did you say, I told you so to God? This is what Jonah does. Go to verse 2. It says, 
Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was in my country? Isn't this what I said? Didn't I tell you what you were going to do, God? You're you're gracious and you're compassionate. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in love. I told you you were going to come and save them. But see, the problem is that Jonah didn't want God to save them. Do you see the issue? Listen, Elijah faced resistance from the outside. Jonah had resistance inside. Say inside. Have you ever had resistance inside of you to the things of God? Maybe to the plans of God. Maybe God asked you to do something that you didn't want to do. Maybe he's already asked you to do something you didn't want to do. And there's resistance in your heart to what he said. If you go on, verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord asked him a question, do you do well to be angry? Or should you be angry? But, but here, here's the, the idea. Elijah had Jezebel coming at him, and he faced this opposition and resistance, and it drove him to the place of feeling weary, tired, hopeless, weak, and he wanted to give up. The problem with Jonah is that he had resistance inside of him to the things of God. And so he decided to run, and he finally came back, but he had a resistance, and the resistance led him to want to die because he was mad, he was upset, he wasn't in agreement with what God was doing and what God was saying. So we have these two paths. Do you see them? We have external resistance. We have internal resistance. We have the the pressure coming from the outside, the people and the circumstances, and we have the, the resistance coming from the inside, maybe our thoughts, our will, our desires, maybe even our emotions. It says that he was angry. It says that he was angry a couple times. He was an angry man. <laughs> sure, he was a good man. He was an angry man. He was angry because he didn't want God to save the, the Ninevites. He didn't want God to come to the Assyrians. Now, here's, here's the trouble. It doesn't matter how we get to the place of hopelessness, weariness, doesn't matter how we get to the place of feeling tired and broken and ready to give up. How many of you guys know when we get to the bottom, we're vulnerable? Did you know that? We're vulnerable. Look, the, both of these men, they're ready to give up. They're, they're ready to die. We're vulnerable. Guys, I'm going to tell you one thing we're particularly vulnerable to is lies. Okay? We're particularly vulnerable to lies and we're particularly vulnerable to pride. And we're going to see both of these in a second. But I find it really interesting that resistance made both of them run. <laughs> Listen, often when we're feeling resistance from the outside or the inside or both, it can lead us from the very thing that God's calling us to. You see this? Go in your Bibles with me to 1 Peter 5. This is where we kind of want to dig in for a few minutes and finish up. Because Elijah, he should have moved in faith and stood in the, in the face of Jezebel coming against him. Okay? On the other hand, Jonah should have humbled himself before God and said, God, it doesn't matter what I think about Nineveh. It doesn't matter what I think about the Assyrians. But God, I value what you say. It's all about you. He should have humbled himself and went to Nineveh. Okay? And what we're going to find right here in 1 Peter 5 is we're going to find both of these things. Now, you have to know the context 
of First Peter. And often we're going to be, we're, we talk about the context of the passage. I just want to encourage you guys, when you jump into a passage, know the context because the context will help inform the meaning, the hermeneutic, the interpretation of the passage. We don't want to just go in and rip a passage out of its context because how many of you guys know that people make the Bible say a lot of things that it doesn't actually say? And so we want to know what the context of a passage is so we can rightly interpret. All right, so the context of 1 Peter is Peter is writing back to Christians in the area of Jerusalem, and, and they're under much pressure outward, okay? Physical persecution for their faith. They're under much outward external pressure, and they're feeling, okay? And so he's writing to them of how to live in light of this external pressure coming against them, this external pressure. Resistance. So chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, verse 6. So in light of that context, he says, humble yourselves. How many of you guys know when we're in pain, we like to make things all about us? Can we just be honest? When we're in pain, it, all my eyes become here. I, it's all about me. It's all about stopping my pain. I see this with my kids, right? I remember a, a few days ago, we were trying to get, <laughs> my kids are always walking outside. We're always gardening, doing things. And one of my kids got a thorn in, in, in their toe. And this is a pretty normal occurrence, but it's not always easy to resolve, okay? And so we have my kid sitting there and we're, try, we're trying to get the thorn out. She's just, like, she's going all over the place. She's going wild, right? But all she's worried about is how she feels in the moment. We're trying to help her, but she doesn't care because all she can feel is that pain because she's making it all about what she feels. You know, we get our eyes set on us when we're in pain. But in light of that, we see Peter, he's saying, humble yourselves. Listen, humbling ourselves is when we get the focus off of us and put it back on God. And we say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not the one who's in control. My opinion isn't the one that you're in control. You're God of heaven, and I come under, I come below. Where Jonah should have humbled himself to the opinions of God instead of resisting, we need to be those who humble ourselves to the plan, the purpose, the will, the truth of what God says. But he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. How many of you guys know that this is, this is the promise of this passage? Listen, we humble ourselves. He will exalt you at the proper time. When he comes back, he will exalt you and give you the riches and the glory and the reward that you're due. But right now, we're to humble ourselves under him. Amen? He says, at the proper time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How many of you guys are worriers? You walk around with anxiety. He says, humble yourselves and cast it. It's almost like a fishing term. You cast them, Right? That's what I do with my son. I try to cast it out there for him, right? You have to cast your anxieties and your cares upon him. And I love this because he cares. Do you know that he cares for you? He cares for you. You don't have to carry anxiety because he sees you. He's caring for you. He's going to provide for you. He's with you. You don't have to carry your anxieties. You can cast them on him. Amen. Then he goes on. He says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, a few weeks ago I had a dream, and in the dream the Lord spoke this really clearly to me. It was actually in the season where I was actually having a hard time, and then I had this dream. And in the dream I woke up, and this was the word. God said, devour. 
And I knew it was directly related to this passage. And here's the connection. When we're vulnerable. How many of you guys know that the, that the enemy, he's going to fight the strong, but he's going to come and devour easily the weak, the broken, the hopeless, and the tired. When we're tired and weary, we're vulnerable, pray for the roaring lion who's seeking to devour. A devour doesn't mean he's coming to bite. Devour means he's going to swallow whole. That's really what the word means in the Greek. It means like to swallow whole. And how many of you guys know that the enemy, he's coming to, he wants to swallow you up. He wants to consume you. He wants to lend you defenseless. He wants to take away your purpose in God. But here, here's the idea, okay? We know that the enemy's looking to devour. So how do we stand? He says, resist him firm in your faith. Okay? So we have humbling. Jonah, he should have humbled himself to God and went. Elijah got scared. He took his eyes off of the one who called him and just had provided supernaturally for him and the one who let him run faster than a chariot and the one who sent fire when he called. He took his eyes off of God of heaven who he put his faith in and he got afraid. I was just even listening during worship. You guys know the last song. It says, through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Listen, when Jonah moved into pride, he didn't set his eyes on God. He set his eyes on himself. When Elijah moved into fear, he didn't set his eyes on God. He set his eyes on Jezebel who was coming at him. We want to be those who set our eyes upon God. And listen, verse 9 says, resist the devil, the, the, the roaring lion who's coming to get you. He's prowling around. Resist him. How do we resist him? Firm in our faith. Guys, listen. When resistance is coming from the outside, we need to be those who stand in faith in what God has said. Amen? Listen, resistance isn't going to get less. How many of you guys know there is much resistance to Christianity in the U.S. today? And it's going to grow because, listen, there's an agenda that's coming against the very things that we hold dear. And they can paint us how they want to paint us. We're going to be those who stand in the love of God, but we're going to stand in faith in what he said. We're going to stand in faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I just want to encourage you with this. Even as we wake up in the mornings, okay, let us be those who walk in humility and faith. When you wake up in the morning, let us just be those who declare, God, you're in control today. Lord, I humble, I bow myself before you. Another way to humble yourself is to fast. It says David, he humbled himself with fasting. Listen, but we want to be those who intentionally bow before God. And say that it's about you today. Because it's easy to make it about me. I'm just going to be honest. It's easy to make it about me. I'm sure for you it's the same. But we want to be those who wake up and practically humble ourselves before God. And the second is we want to be those who stir faith in our hearts. How many of you guys know that faith comes by hearing? Sometimes your ears need to hear the truth of what God has said about you. And you might not have somebody there to speak it for you, but you can speak it for yourself. You can read God's word because your ears need to hear so that you can believe it in faith. Amen? It says, resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Often when we're walking through hardship, we tend to think that we're the only one. Isn't that the truth? This, I'm, I'm the only one this hard thing is happening to. I'm alone. There's nobody like me who's going through this particular trial. And yet, we're all walking through hardship. Guys, listen, we're all walking through resistance on some level. Whether it's outside, whether it's inside, whether it's by circumstance, whether it's emotion. We're all facing resistance. 
And I love the encouragement, you're not alone. Say, I'm not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. As you move into this last verse 10, after you've suffered a little while, after you've went through the words affliction, after you've had this hardship for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Let me read that one more time. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I love this, this message because he's speaking to those who are hurting. He's speaking to those who are walking through hardship, who are struggling financially. Shame is on them in the community. They're hey, talking about external resistance probably in every way you can think about it, okay? It's coming against this group of people, and he's saying, listen, hold on because our God, he's with you. He's going to come himself, and I believe he's speaking more future than present, but I believe that both in the future he's going to, he's going to come for us. Amen. How many of you guys know that the struggle is temporary? Amen. But as we put our faith in God, we get to spend eternity with him. That's a blessing, right? But there's also promise now that, hey, as we walk through the hardship, that he's the God of all grace. He's the God of all grace, the one who comes and gives what you don't deserve, the one who gives blessing, who comes and sustains you. He's going to be the one who restores and confirms, who gives you strength. Because often when we're weak, what do we need? We need strength, right? He's like, hey, God, he's going to come and strengthen you. After you've suffered a little bit, after you've gone through the hardship, don't give up because God, he's going to come and strengthen you himself. looked at my notes yet. Let me see if there's anything on here. <laughs> Let me speak this to us. I've been pondering on this for, for two weeks, but in, in light of resistance, God is calling us to persistence. Say persistence. If you see with Elijah and Jonah, in the face of resistance, they both wanted to give up. Did you see that? They both wanted to give up. But God, he's calling us into persistence, in, to keep going in faith and humility, to keep following, to keep going. Guys, I just want to encourage you with this. Listen, the, the Christian life, I was going to say it's a marathon, but it's way more than a marathon. <laughs> I haven't ever ran a marathon because I'm not much of a runner. I'll just be honest with you guys. I, I'm, I'm jealous of you who, who can run that far. But a marathon takes endurance. It doesn't matter how fast you start if you don't finish, right? You have to have endurance. And guys, listen, the Christian life, you need endurance. You need endurance. We got to keep going. Even when it gets hard, even when it feels like giving up, we got to keep going. I set a goal this year to, to keep work, like work out three times a week. I said, this is what I said in my mind. You know how sometimes things sounds better in your mind than when you actually speak them out? I said, I'm going to get in the best shape of my life this year, and I'm working on it, okay? But the goal was to work out for three times a week every week. I've almost hit that. But some of you guys know that sometimes I feel like giving up. I, don't, I wake up, and I don't feel it. 
Anybody like that? I don't feel it. Guys, sometimes we wake up in the morning and we don't feel like keep going in the Christian life. We don't feel like continuing in faith. We don't feel like humbling ourselves. We feel like making it about us. Guys, sometimes we don't feel it, but this is the call, is that in the face of resistance in life, external, inside of us, internal, that we would have the, be those who walk in endurance, in persistence in God, that we would continue in faith and continue in humility. Amen? Team, if you want to come, worship team. So today, as we move to a close, we're going to, we're going to open up the altar. Uh, we're, we're just going to bring our hearts before the Lord, but this is what I want to encourage you. If you're feeling tired, if you're feeling like, man, I, I have resistance inside of me, or I feel it outside from somebody around me, or I, I just, I don't encourage you. Oftentimes we see the altar as people who need to be prayed for. Amen. If you want to be prayed for today, come down here. But I want to encourage you with this. If you want to pray for somebody, come down here today. Because listen, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we value what happens here. Not because we're trying to get somebody out of a pew. If you want to stay in your pew and turn around and pray for somebody. But listen, there is a transfer, there's encouragement in us laying on our hands to one another that can't be replaced. We value this here. And so we want to come around one another, not because something's wrong with you. Listen, if you see somebody come into the altar, listen, don't worry about it because you got issues too, right? We all got issues. It's okay. We just want to come around one another and pray for one another. This is the job of Christian community, to pray for one another, to stand with one another. Listen, sometimes you feel so weak and so tired and so hopeless that you don't feel like you can get to the place of faith or humility by yourself and you need someone to come around you who's full of strength. Listen, we want to be about that. Christian community that stands together. Amen? So we're going to open up the altar. So there's something in your heart that you just want to come and spend time with God, amen. If you want prayer or you want to pray for somebody, come sit on the front row. If nobody else, you can pray for me, amen. But we're going to pray for one another this morning, amen. Pray with me, Jesus. Lord, we say whatever route, Lord, it takes to get us to the bottom, Lord. Lord, we just bring our hearts before you, Lord. Tired, weary, broken, hopeless, ready to give up. God, we ask that you impart your strength to your people. Oh, God, Lord, where we've moved into pride, God, would you bring humility? God, where we've moved into fear, anxiety, God, would you come and stir us in faith? God, we ask in Jesus' name. But, Lord, we want to be those who walk with endurance. God, who finish the race strong, Lord, who don't give up halfway through. Oh, God, would you help us? Sometimes the resistance feels like too much, but God, we thank you that you're with us, that you call us to yourself, that you said, I'm going to give you rest, that I'm going to confirm you, I'm going to restore you, I'm going to strengthen you. And so God, we, we set our eyes off of our struggles and we set our eyes upon you this morning. We set our eyes upon you, Jesus. Strengthen your people, Lord. Strengthen us, we ask, in the name of Jesus.